Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to that passage that Scott read this morning, Matthew chapter 1, the text where it talks about the conception and the birth of the Lord. It says his name will be Emmanuel, which is God with us. We read about the coming of the Magi and then bringing gifts of frankincense and gold and myrrh. Many times we don't remember that, that the gifts that those, we call them wise men, sometimes we call them kings, or you know, whatever they were, as they came, they brought those three gifts, and we, we sometimes fail to remember that those three gifts were prophetic statements. They were not just random gifts. They were frankincense, incense, it speaks of presence and, and is symbolic of his presence, symbolic of Emmanuel. When they gave it to him, God is with us, the, the, the incense or the frankincense. The myrrh that would speak of his death, a, a, a spice, a fragrance that's used in the embalming process or was used in the embalming process in that day. And, and so it spoke of his presence among us, God with us, Emmanuel. It, it spoke of his death that was yet to come, the purpose for which he came into the world. The middle gift was gold. It was gold. Gold that was brought for a king. Gold symbolizing royalty and, and being king and ruling and reigning. And, and so we think this morning in this Christmas season, in this what I laughingly called in the office this week my one sermon Advent series, it's the only time we've left the Gospel of John for this Advent season. But we come to think about this little baby and recognize that this baby is a king. This baby is not just a king. This baby is the king. And he's not just the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Scripture says. I don't know if you noticed as we sang these Christmas hymns this morning how many times in Christmas carols, Christmas hymns, it talks about the king. The king has come, uh, and this little baby is representative of the king, the ultimate king, the righteous king that has come into the earth. It's not unusual for a baby to be a king. Uh, anytime there's a, a, a monarchy, anytime there's a, quote, royal family, when a baby is born, that first baby that's born is always designated, this will be the king. This will be the one who will reign over our monarchy. Now, we don't understand monarchy too much in our day-to-day. -day. As a matter of fact, most monarchies today are, are constitutional monarchies where the, the monarch just simply has a figurehead presence, just sort of has a ceremonial presence. And when there's something that needs to be kind of pop and circumstance, they parade them out and they go through the, the ceremony and that's about it. But in Jesus' day and in the days of the Old Testament, a king was a king, a king ruled with absolute authority. And when you talk about this baby in this cradle being a king, there's something special about that that we need to understand even in our day when we don't understand the monarchy very well. I remember reading about George Whitfield, the great evangelist, really one who ought to be numbered among our founding fathers because he was an evangelist in colonial days of America before the Constitution, before the Declaration of Independence. And he traveled the whole eastern seaboard preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and seeing many people come to, come to faith in Christ. It's said that Whitfield would gather and stand on the stump and 10,000 people would gather around to hear him preach. I mean, and, and no application, no microphones, nothing, but he would preach the gospel. 
But I remember reading about Whitfield going into a tavern one day, and as he went into the tavern, he, no, he noticed over the, over the bar, over the, over the counter there, there was a big sign, obviously by the, uh, the rebels that were about to, to declare independence, and they said, no sovereign served here. No sovereign served here. Either served food and drink or served to submit to, I guess the thought was, because the idea was of King George, and there was no sovereign served here. And Whitfield looked at that sign, and he made the comment, that will be the downfall of, the United, uh, of this new country. It wasn't the United States at that point, but that will be the downfall of this new country if it succeeds in becoming a country that they cannot, they will not acknowledge any sovereign. That's where we live today. We won't know, we won't know king. We, we want nobody telling us what we must do and how we must live and, and what must, our life must be about. We want no king to serve over us. Matter of fact, the only king we want is king of, of ourselves is ourself. We want to be our own ruler. We want to be our own potentate. We want to be our own sovereign. We want to say our will is what matters and our will is what will prevail and we seek to rule ourselves. Scripture tells us that that one that is born in that manger 2,000 years ago is born a king. Not of a lineage that was recognized necessarily in that day, but the lineage of King David. Born a king. Born one who would reign. Born as one who would rule. Now, when the Jews heard that, when, when the Magi went to Herod and said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? He, he recognized that there's something there that troubled him a bit because he saw himself as the only ruler in that area. But he recognized the history of, of Israel, that they had had kings. Now, if you go all the way back to the time when the kings began in the day of, of Samuel, when, when they were ruled by judges and and Samuel appointed his own sons as judges, and they weren't very good judges. He shouldn't have done that. But the people came to him and said, listen, we, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king who will rule over us and reign over us, and, and we, want to, we want to have a king who will lead us in battle. We want to have a king who will show us the, the way and who will stand with us. That bothered Samuel as naturally it would, because his sons were the judges. He was a judge. They were, they were the ones who had, had adjudicated all the, the concerns of the nation, but here the people were saying, no, we want a king. Samuel didn't want to give him a king. But God finally said to Samuel, give him a king. Give him what they asked for. And he said to Samuel, he said, listen, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. But it's not you, Samuel, they're rejecting. It's me they're rejecting. It's not you that they're, they're, they're uh, turning their back on. It's me that they once again are turning their back on. Samuel, don't be concerned about it. It's me that the people are rejecting. So give them a king. And Samuel spoke to them, the words of the Lord said to him, and, 
And he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and some to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And he will also take your daughters to make perfumers out of them and cooks and bakers and will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to your servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and your vineyards and he will give to his officers and to his servants. And he will also take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. And he will make a tenth of your flo- take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because you're of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Whoa. Don't you know, don't you think the people would have said at that point, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Second thought, we don't want a king. No, we want a king. We want a king who will be like us. We want a king who will be one of us. We want a king who will have dwelt among us and will know our wants and know our desires. He won't be that kind of king. Surely he'll be a good king. Just give us a good king. Don't give us a bad king. But the truth of the matter is, the history of Israel is shrewd with bad kings. Not good kings, not kings who said, I will, I will do good for the people, I will do righteousness for the people, but kings who because of their fallen nature, because indeed they were, were one of the people, they were like them, they were fallen, and they got into authority, they got into their royal place, and they demanded their own way. They said, I want what I want for me, I want my way. And so they got their king, who they thought would lead them into great prosperity, and great freedom, and great understanding, and they got someone who subjected them, and and followed his own desires, and followed his own sinful nature, and did not follow the Lord. But, But God said, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me, and they were. We don't really want a king. We want somebody who will take care of us. We want somebody who will be our our benevolent dictator and give us everything we need. We want somebody who will see to it that we don't have hardships, but we don't really want a king. But throughout all the bad kings of Israel, throughout all the the struggles that they had with those kings, God kept saying through his prophets and through the writers of Holy Scripture, I'm going to send another king. I'm going to send a king who is unlike any king you've ever seen. I'm going to send a king who is a righteous king. He will rule in righteousness. I'm going to send a king who will sit on the throne of his father David, out of the lineage of David, out of the family line of David. I'm going to send a king who will rule in absolute, pure righteousness. And the truth is, you'll reject him too. You'll say to him, that's not the kind of king we wanted. That's not the kind of king we were looking for. We want another kind of king. We want a king who will really just take care of us. Well, he spoke through Isaiah. We we know the passage well that we usually read at this time of year when it talks about the birth and the reign of the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace, the one who will come. Isaiah said, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. 
But later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then Isaiah says, this is what God says. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness and will be glad in your, they will be glad in your presence and with gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their, on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as in the day of the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in battle tumult, and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For unto us, child will be born, a son will be given to us, and the government, all government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Throughout all the kingdoms of bad kings and, and kings not doing what is right for the people, not ruling in righteousness, not ruling in justice, but ruling in selfishness and self-centeredness, in the midst of all that, God says through his prophets, but I want you to know there is coming a day when a child will be born and a child will rise up and will rule on the throne of his, his father David. And he will rule in righteousness and he will have the whole government on his shoulders. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and prince of peace. The Gospels tell us that that one that Isaiah was prophesying is the one that we think about in the Advent season as lying in that manger. The Gospels tell us that that one who came not as most royal blood comes. Most, royal, most kings would be born in the palace, wouldn't they? Most kings would have been there with, uh, among the, the king himself and the queen and, and, and all the other royal regalia that goes along with that. They would have been born to great trumpet sound and great horns blasting. This one was born in a stable with a star, with angels telling the shepherds, this is the one that is born for you. He's down there in Bethlehem, in a manger, in a stable. Go find him. There were no chariots around. There were no royal proclaimers around to say this is the one. But this is the one. This is the one that was promised. This is the one who came and who grew up and who became king by ver or, or, or demonstrated, didn't become, became, he demonstrated his royalty, demonstrated his kingliness by dying. And when it says Emmanuel, God is with us, that's Jesus. 
And, and the name Jesus that they gave him there in Matthew's gospel that, that Scott read earlier when it said, and he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We need to realize that his purpose is in his name. Jesus, the derivative from Joshua, the Old Testament, which literally means he shall save his people. He shall redeem his people. He shall rescue his people. He is Jesus. The purpose of his coming, the purpose of being born, the purpose of the cross is wrapped up in his name. Jesus. Jesus the Savior. Jesus the Redeemer. Jesus the King. Now, now most people in his own day thought it foolish that, that he would be called a king because he was dying on a cross. A, a cross was a, an instrument of death for criminals, for the despised, for those who were most hated among the peoples. And, and they, they saw him hanging there, and even Pilate in his in his proclamation that hung above the cross, he, he put on there, Jesus, King of the Jews. And the Jewish leader said, don't call him that. That's not who he is. He's not our king. You're our king. We, we don't serve this one. Put on there that he said he was King of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. Even in his ignorance, Pilate was proclaiming who this one really was. King of the Jews, indeed, king of all creation, hanging on a cross. He died. He was buried. Buried in a tomb that didn't belong to him or his family or any royalty. Buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was aided by, we find out, we talked about, this, uh, talked about him already a couple of times in John, aided by Nicodemus. Prepared hastily for death, buried, the stone rolled against the grave, and, and no one thought they'd ever hear anything about him again. And three days later, the stone rolled away. He came out of the grave alive, not resuscitated, but resurrected, declaring that what was accomplished in the cradle and on the cross was indeed the overcoming of the king of all creation. And he ascended. Ascended to the right hand of the Father. And in his ascension... In his ascension, it was declared for all to see that this one is who he said he was. This one is going. And 500 people stood there and watched him taken up into heaven and testified for months to come, years to come, generations to come by those whom they had told. And it continued going so much so that today we are here because the apostles witnessed and because the witnesses of those 500 who stood there and watched it that this was the Son of God. This was Emmanuel. This was God with us and God among us. And it, it seems so strange that all of that began in a little manger in Bethlehem. It, it seems so strange that all that began by a, a helpless, seemingly little baby. But I want you to know that baby did not grow up to become king of kings and lord of lords. That baby is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And not only that, he's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming to reign not just over his people, his church, in righteousness and justice. He's ruling and reigning there now. He is king right now, but he's coming again to declare his kingdom. 
over all the earth. You remember a couple of weeks ago when Jesus was talking to the Feast of Tabernacles, and he said to the people, he said, you know, there's going to come a time when you're going to look for me, you're going to seek me, and you're not going to be able to find me. Right now, all who seek him find him, Scripture tells us. Everyone who desires to come to faith in Christ can come to faith in Christ right now. It's open. The door is open. But there's coming a day, Jesus said, when you will seek after me, you will look for me, you will want to find me, and you won't be able to. It's that same day Paul talked about in Philippians when he said, one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is the Lord, but it's going to come after they see him coming in glory. It's going to come after the day of grace has passed. It's going to come after there is no more open door for salvation. John saw that in the book of Revelation. I love how he describes it in Revelation chapter 19. Take your Bibles and turn with me to that if you would. I want you to see this. It's not so much a pretty sight, but in in, in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, it talks about the coming of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus, Faithful and True. And in, in righteousness he judges and he wages war. The key there is in righteousness. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on them which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We've looked at that in depth in our study of John. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel signaling in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat flesh of kings and flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves, great and small, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and all the armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. I don't know as we read that if you got a mental picture of that or not. I heard Al Mohler preach this text one time and he said, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I don't imagine that was the Sunday morning lesson in the third and fourth grade class out of Revelation 19. It's kind of hard to do coloring pictures, you know, that would go along with this uh, uh, text and, and, and take it home. Here, children, paint the bloody robe on Jesus. Paint, 
paint the birds eating the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the commanders and, and, and the birds being something. That's just not kind of what we taught, but may not be in Sunday school lessons, but it's in the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Because what it's saying is there's coming a day when this one who is born in the manger will come again to rule and to reign over all the earth in righteousness. He will wage war in righteousness. He will bring about righteousness over all the earth and will be under his authority, under his kingship, when he will be declared wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. But in order to bring peace, he must wage war against all that stands against him. It's kind of interesting to see that picture and to realize that there's some in our day, more probably in liberal circles than in, in conservative biblical circles, that would say, you know, there, there's two gods of the Bible. There's the God of the Old Testament who is a vengeful God, a wrathful God, a God who, who, who kills people because of their sin, like uh, Nadab and Abihu at the temple. And, and, then, and then there's the God of the New Testament. There, there's Jesus. He's Jesus, meek and mild, sweet and graceful and gentle. And there's Jesus who's the new God who would not hurt a flea, wouldn't hurt a fly. I found an interesting reading in Richard Dawkins' book a couple of years ago, the great atheist. Great may not be the right word to use there, but the well-known atheist, uh, one of the leaders of the new atheism. And, and Dawkins in that book said, you know, in his book, uh, he, he said, what does this talk about a, a, a peaceful, loving, kind, gentle Jesus, God, in the New Testament? I've read the book of Revelation, and he comes in fury. He comes in the wrath of God to execute righteousness and judgment. Evidently, Dawkins has read the last book of the Bible, and many Christians, supposedly Christians, haven't. The point is not to look at the gore here. The point is not to look at the, 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 the fierceness with which he comes here. The point is to say, this one who is born, the baby, born as a baby in the manger, this one is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is coming back in force one day. He's coming back with his robe and his thigh with a name written on it, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming back to redeem his own ultimately and completely and finally. And those who have trusted in him, those who have placed their faith in him, they're with him. It's not their flesh that will be eaten. It's not by the birds and their eyes plucked out by the birds. It's those who are rejected. Those who have said, like, like, like the tavern in colonial America, I serve no sovereign here. I, I will not bow to a sovereign. I will not have a king. I want to be king of my own life. I want to rule my own way. I want to do my own thing. I want what I want when I want it. I don't want Jesus or anybody else saying, this is how life is to be lived. I don't want Jesus or anybody else saying, in order to come to me, you must die to yourself and raise to new life to me. I don't want anybody telling me how I should live, what I should do. And, and, and that's not a legalistic standard. It's just saying, Jesus says, you come to me and take up your cross and follow me. You come to me, you die to self, you live unto me. You bow to me as sovereign king. You recognize me 
not as just a baby that we talk about a few times during the, the end of the year. Not just a baby that's so nice and cuddly and gentle and just really demands nothing of us. Remember, that baby grew up. And the baby didn't just say, be nice to one another. That baby didn't just say, now live good and you'll be all right. That baby said, come to me. John quoted Jesus in his gospel saying, come to me and drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. Come to me and consume me and be consumed by me. And you will have life. This this Christmas season is a time when we must acknowledge this baby is the king. This baby is the one who rules today from heaven, and this baby is the one who is coming again to declare his righteousness, declare his kingdom over all of his creation. Paul says, listen, the whole, as I read in the For the hope this morning out of Romans chapter 8, the whole of creation is moaning and groaning. The whole of creation is struggling. There is suffering now. There is pain now. There there are things going on that we don't understand that make absolutely no sense. We suffer and we hurt. But in this world, Paul says, our sufferings now are nothing to even be compared to the glory that will be ours when Christ returns. Or when we go to Him? Yeah, there is injustice now. There is evil now. There is pain now. But when we see Him face to face, when we see our King returning in glory, all the pain, all the suffering, all the groaning will fall away. We will be be united with Him by our full adoption into His family for all eternity. That's the glory of Christmas. The glory of Christmas goes far beyond the manger. The glory of Christmas goes to acknowledging that He is King. question this morning, pure and simple, have you bowed to the king? Have you bowed to the sovereign? Have you said, Lord, my my sin is great, and I have no righteousness of my own. I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. I need your righteousness to clothe me. Have you bowed to the king, not in a manger, but the returning king who died on a cross in your place as your substitute, as your perfect sacrifice. Have you bowed? Let's pray together. Father, we do bow 
our heads. But Lord, we can bow our heads without bowing our hearts. I pray, Lord, this morning that you will, by your Holy Spirit, lead all of us to bow our hearts before you. That, Lord, your Holy Spirit would direct us to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, especially those this morning, Lord, who don't know you. I pray, Lord, you work in their life to bring them to faith in Christ. Pray, Lord, that you show them that this is the time. This is the time when you say, seek me and you'll find me. Come to me and you will know me because your Spirit's working in their life. Lord, I pray that we acknowledge the Lord Jesus as who He is. Born on that night, millennium ago, but Lord, living today, reigning today, King of kings and Lord of lords today and forevermore. Father, the, king, the baby is the king. Let us see him as that. For we pray in Jesus' name.